Everybody, it's the Ron and Don Show. Hey guys, what's going on? It's episode number 273 now of the Ron and Don Show. What's up, Ron and Don Nation? Yeah, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, we're live from the Les Schwab Studios. The rules of tipping, have those changed because of COVID now that it feels like we've kind of gotten on the other side of things? Also, remote weddings and memorials, they say they're here to stay. I want to talk about that a little bit. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. There's an overdose committee in Seattle, Washington that's connected to the city council. And the overdose committee is saying, hey, when it comes to certain types of drugs, especially psychedelics, uh, why don't we kind of tap the brakes here and decriminalize some of this? It's interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine who is a police officer on the east side. In fact, he's one of our clients. And uh, we were having a chat the other day, and he said, Don, I got to go. And and I said, well, what's going on? He goes, I got a call coming in hot. It's coming in hot. So I called him later on. I said, what happened on the hot call? What happened? It's hot. Coming in hot. And he said, you know, ever since they've kind of decriminalized uh, certain types of drugs in Washington State, he said, we are getting a lot more calls to just come and save folks. He says, before, people were so afraid and scared, especially if they'd supplied the drugs to somebody. Then they ended up ODing. And it used to be that maybe you'd drop them off at the hospital Mm. where where the ambulance would typically pick somebody up, and then you get the hell out of there and just leave them there. Now those calls are, are coming, and there's a lot of emergency responders out there uh, that are being uh, utilized, and we can see uh, it's become something that's very, very important, I think, to the fabric of what's happening here in Washington State. The interesting thing about this, though, is it, it, it seems to me, as we look in our parks and our parking lots and we look under bridges, you see all the tents that are here. And you see a lot of open-air drug markets. In fact, my son's school, they used to go on these urban tours. And even before COVID, they stopped doing that because of all the open-air drug use that the kids would see. Uh, And in fact, I remember uh, being summoned to my son's classroom. And one of the teachers had to explain to the parents what the kids had seen when they went on this urban trek. And it was people with needles hanging from their arms. And the kids had a lot of questions about that. So I appreciated them, including the parents, so I could sit down and have a heart-to-heart talk with my son about these things. So nonetheless, as we look at this, Ron, we're... We're going to have a new mayor here at some point because she's not going to run again. Uh, we have an interim police chief, and we all know that the mayor really is the police chief, right? And it seemed like Carmen and our current mayor couldn't get along, couldn't get on the same page. Where, where do you kind of see this going, and and what's the end game for those of us that want to see pe- people survive and thrive, and we don't want to see them dying in our parks? And at the same time, we pay for those parks. 
We want to go back, my son and I, we want to go skateboarding at the Ballard's Commons, which you can't do right now because there's 120 tents there. And it feels very, very unsafe. You have many, many police officers uh, and frontline workers that have left the Seattle area because it doesn't feel safe to them. It'll be very interesting to me to see who becomes the next mayor uh, in the city of Seattle and also becomes uh, the next governor of uh, Washington state, because I know that we want to be progressive. And at the same time, some of our progressive tendencies uh, have seemed to really uh, bitten us. And it seems like a lot of this progressive stuff is not working. What are your thoughts? Well, this is endlessly fascinating to me for a lot of different reasons, but, but one of them, which I'm coming to terms with in a similar way, of trying to make a reckoning uh, about race in America is about the way we were socialized and brought up, especially our generation, you and I, around drugs. They just took, and I never really understood this until recently, you sort of had good drugs and bad drugs. And that, those are the only categories. You have drugs that you would get from the doctor and the, from the pharmacy, and then there were street drugs. And... I didn't really realize how politicized uh, those things were. So basically, if you go back in American history and you look at it, was J. Edgar Hoover, uh, and there were some people inside the federal BI, and really uh, a prominent figure was Richard Nixon uh, when you had the, the 60s and sort of the counterculture movement. They kind of got together in a way and said, all of these drugs are bad. And mostly it was drugs that were connected to what Richard Nixon saw as hippie culture. So we're talking about marijuana. You're talking about psilocybin. You're talking about magic mushrooms. You're talking about some of these LSD, some of these drugs that were coming out of research. Like LSD was out of Stanford. You know, those, those famous experiments, it, it wasn't some guy in index in, in a, in a meth lab cooking this stuff up. It was academic research. Some of it used in the military. Some of it used for a very powerful mental disorders. And then it got out of the lab and embraced by the counterculture movement. And so Richard Nixon put his foot down and said, screw those hippies. All that stuff's now illegal. And he put it all into the same bucket. And so now as we move forward 50 years, people are going, really? Should we have done that? Is pot, is marijuana the same thing as heroin? Is an opiate the same thing as a hallucinogen? And the scientific community, because they took away all of the public funding. So Richard Nixon and J. Edgar Hoover took away all of the public funding to these universities. And not only that, threatened them. If you want to study psilocybin or LSD, not only are we not going to fund you, we're going to take away all your other funding for all your other studies that you're doing about cancer or that you're doing about, uh, you know, any of these other things. And so it became a non-starter to even look into this stuff anymore. And now we're seeing private funding come in uh, to, to research a lot of these substances. Yeah. And I, I think if you look at someone like geez, Steve Jobs, you read Walter Isaacson's book about him. And he kept a home near the Stanford campus. It didn't have any furniture in it. And it's where he would go out for days at a time and he would trip out on LSD. And it's how he created Apple. He will tell you his greatest ideas 
uh, came from tripping out on LSD, right? So what's really interesting about this is then the Nixon administration used this to be very heavy-handed and start arresting people who are using these drugs or selling these drugs. And, of course, they really cracked down on the black and brown communities. And the Steve Jobs of the world, they never got arrested right. in, in Palo Alto. And the bottom line is this. There, the, when, when you look at the United States and you look at just basically, uh, are we at 68% people are Caucasian and white, 13% are black. I mean, when you look at those numbers, it just doesn't make sense that there's more people, more black and brown people in jail for drug crimes than there are white people. Does that mean there's more black and brown people doing drugs and white people aren't doing drugs? No. It just means in a lot of those white communities, they're not over, uh, they're not over policed. And in a lot of those white communities, people just kind of look the other way. So here's why this is important. Let's take, um, there's been some really interesting studies around PTSD with the military, end of life issues like urine hospice care, where substances like magic mushrooms and LSD take away that fear and anxiety. You can have people that have had severe PTSD from, from war uh, and are able to find peace through microdosing and through these other things. The reason why I embrace this for those things specifically, I'm not saying you would legalize heroin or anything like that, but for magic mushrooms, which the city council's looking at there's such a widespread if you try to just go buy this from someone you know in terms of the amount of hallucinogen in a mushroom so depending on the actual mushroom it could be a huge variance so that's where you do have your cop friend that someone feels like they're going to die because the one time they take one mushroom and they felt this way next time they take one mushroom and it's five times stronger because they have no way of knowing the potency because they're getting this unregulated. Yeah, not regulated. And so if if you have severe anxiety, if you have if you want to do a, a, like a Steve Jobs enlightenment thing, if you have some sort of like it, the the book by Michael Pollan, uh, How to Change Your Mind, it goes into this in great detail. There's a lot of really interesting side effects for severe depression. Um, I was just listening on the way over here to a podcast. The, the effects of magic mushrooms are almost exactly the same as Lexapro. Mm. But with the Lexapro, you have to take it every single day. Mm. The magic mushrooms you took twice in this study that was just in the New England, New England Journal of Medicine, like the most prestigious medical journal in America. So, like, think about that. You have a, a, an organic substance taken twice by a group of severely depressed people that has the same effect as a pharmaceutical company, Lexapro, taking that drug every single day. The side effects of Lexapro can be severe um, sexual what's a, uh, impotency hmm. or, or like non, what is that called? What am I looking for the word? Non-ability to perform. Yeah. Uh, very important side effects where the magic mushrooms, mushrooms don't have that. So it's in, in, in the medical journals, they call it, you lost your strong pimp in hand. There you go. So I, I'm very open to this. I hope that people keep an open mind. Heroin opiates are not the same thing as uh, LSD or as microdosing. There've been experiments for a long, time about 
t- microdosing LSD as a mood stabilizer for a lot of people that are incredible results. Incre- and, and you're not high. You can still, you're still functioning. You're still working. You're still parenting. It's very, very, very small doses that have a dramatic effect on people's well-being. Yeah. More on the other side of this. You can just tell that they uh, that they're just real genuine guys and, and care about uh, who they work with and just feel like we you know we got we got some some more friends now. It truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit down. Hi, I'm Ollie. Hi, I'm Emmy. Hi, I'm John Greenland. I'm Lauren Greenland. Hi, my name is uh, Anthony Kroll. Hi, I'm Gretchen. And I'm Byron. And we sat down with, with Ron and Don. Mm-hmm. They were more prepared. They paid way more attention to detail. Um, and then they just came in with a, with a lot more knowledge and were able to set those expectations up a lot better than um, some of the previous uh, realtors that we worked with. So, I mean, I was I was extremely pleased with uh, the the entire, the, the sit down, the, the experience and, and the results, of course. There was a friendship that developed and a, and a, and a trust. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say a trust and then, you know, we yeah. have, we love them. It's been a hell of a lot of fun for one thing. I see them as, as friends now. I feel like they've made me feel part of this community and knowing that, you know, Dawn's just down the street is, is comforting. <laughs> <laughs> we totally consider Ron and Dawn friends of ours now and we do miss working with them. It was intense there for a little bit. But it's an experience that we'll always remember and have and um, and now lifelong friends. It's the Ron and Don Nation. That's right. <laughs> Don't forget, when you're ready to sit down and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to episode 273 now of the Ron and Don Show. As you just heard, we're licensed brokers at uh, Windermere. Yeah, and we would love to send you a buyer's playbook or a seller's playbook if you're wanting to jump in the real estate market. Or if you just have questions like, you know what? What is my house worth? I've seen a bunch of for sale signs in my neighborhood, but I don't know what they actually sold for. Uh, maybe you're sitting on a gold mine and you want to cash out. Give us a call or you can email me, ron at windermere.com. Yeah, there you go. Sounds cool. Right. Hey, uh, tipping, uh, they say as we get on the other side of the pandemic, that tipping's going to be a little different now. I know when I did some outdoor uh, seating, I tipped a lot because if you're a server, and, and just being a server in the past, sometimes you need a, a table to turn over two or three times, depending on how many tables have been assigned to you, in order to make showing up for work even worth it. And you could see it a lot of these outdoor tables where people would come and they would sit and they wouldn't leave. Uh, and I think sometimes restaurants should just be, they should be more bold about that and just say, hey, no one talks about this. We try to turn our tables every 40 minutes if we can, or every 45 minutes, or every whatever it is. I, I think the consumer sometimes, we need to do a better job letting them know 
that hey these this wait staff they are working for tips these restaurants have really thin margins and i think we learned a lot about that during the pandemic and if we're going to make a go i mean what makes our neighborhoods really spectacular and special is that you don't have a cheesecake factory on every corner if you want a cheesecake factory in every corner just move to phoenix arizona i always tell people i could take you on a helicopter ride drop you and any shopping center in Phoenix, Arizona, and there would be a cheesecake factory there. There would be an Einstein bagel there, and that would be right next to the Starbucks there. So it's just, just it's everywhere in Arizona. So those unusual brick, uh, brick and mortar places where we have these great chefs and they prepare these great meals in our great neighborhoods around Seattle and Tacoma and up to Everett. I mean, that's what I love and care about, and I know that you do too. So let me ask you, you were a good tipper. In my mind, you were an exorbitant tipper before the uh, the pandemic. I think you tipped too much. I don't know why that is, but you, you were an over-tipper. Yeah. Now, uh, has that gone up? Has it stayed the same? And they've also now said, what's your stance on tipping on takeout? Yeah. So, so I'm tipping even more now. And what's really interesting... My son and I, every every week, we go to a particular pizza place and we walk our dog and we get this pizza and it's always takeout. And and so <laughs> as you're signing out, the tip pops up. And what makes me mad, or it doesn't make me mad, what I don't like is when it automatically lands on the 25% tip and then you have to go in and customize it. Right. And, and, and you're like... You know, this takeout is twenty dollars and or thirty dollars or whatever it is, and and I don't mind tipping on that. But what was it, Drew Brees? I think a number of years ago, he was in New Orleans and he walked into a restaurant and he bought a hundred dollars in food and he only tipped I think two or three dollars, and someone went after him online and then that started the debate and he was like, "Hey, this is a famous New Orleans quarterback." He was like, "Hey, th- th- this was takeout. They really didn't do anything. It's just I came. I did you all picked the up the bag. Yeah, I'm the I'm the one that was doing all the work here to, to actually go and pick up my food. So, anyway, t- takeout. I don't know that you have to do the full 20, 25 percent. I may be more of a ten to fifteen percent, which I think is a lot on takeout. Uh, when you have food delivered, I don't do that anymore because it's just cost prohibitive. I, yeah. I I told you from Five Guys hamburgers. My son and I ordered two hamburgers." And by that time the hamburgers got here and the bags and the, they were soggy and the fries were soggy and the guy just dumped the stuff on our uh, f- on our uh, front porch and it looked like it had just been uh, and maybe in his back trunk somewhere just kind of flying around. And it was like a $60 bill to get these two hamburgers with fries right. and a couple of drinks because there's just there's and then you feel like you have to tip him then again on top of that. So it, it seems like a little much. I will say I, I tip way too much when it comes to my cup of coffee in the morning. I get a cup of coffee, but it's just because I like the people. I like this gang and this coffee shop. And so I go in there and even though my coffee is only a couple bucks, I tip at least five dollars. Every time I get a cup of coffee, five dollars on top of the coffee cost. Yeah, and then on, wow, and then on, and then on Fridays I usually pick one of them and I give them a twenty dollars bill and I just say, hey, I want to buy lunch for you today. That's so, awesome. So th- there was a front that very generous, and, it, and, no, and, they, and it's because I I come from that industry. I've worked in that industry. I've worked in that. Service you managed industry. a yoga weight shop. I did back so, in the day. So, so I know what that's like. And and I know I know how how important tips can so be. So front people. page so. of the Seattle Times on Sunday because I still get the physical paper. The main article is where have all the waiters gone? 
and they had a photograph of a guy installing a solar panel. And it's like, okay, this guy was a professional waiter. Pandemic hit. He couldn't work. He took the opportunity while he was getting unemployment to go, what else could I do? What else am I interested in? Solar energy. Uh, got whatever certification or whatever training he needed to. And so he's not going back to being a professional waiter. He's now a solar guy. And they use that as an example of restaurants are struggling right now to, to get employees. I, I, I walked up in, uh, Tom Douglas down by the Pike Place Market. I went out to, to dinner with a friend. He was shucking the oysters. And he's like uh, in his mask. He's standing there at the front of the restaurant, personally shucking the oysters. And I was like, hey, Tom, I had my mask on. So I said, hey, Ron from Ron Doncho. He's like, oh, how's it going? So we chatted a little bit. And he's like, yeah, I'd like to come down here and do this. A, because it's sort of a skeleton crew. B, I, I like to interact with people that are coming to a Tom Douglas restaurant. But you look around and they were not fully staffed. Mm. Um, I know that you, are you seeing that? Do you think that these people that that had this pause said maybe i don't want to work in food service anymore maybe i do want to take a moment uh, to switch careers and this gave me the opportunity to do that i'm not going back to food service well i have to say the republicans were right when they said we have to shut off the money spigot especially the extra 300 dollars a week because sometimes that's what you make when you're waiting tables and for a lot of people waiting tables might be a side hustle so maybe this guy was already doing solar and then waiting tables on the side i don't know Typically, people do that or they'll go, you know, when, when something hit, hit hits typically and something rocks the economy, you're like, well, I'll just go back to waiting tables or I'll just go back to being a bartender. And you couldn't do that. Right. <laughs> you couldn't do that. So those jobs weren't available. What you see happening now and the reason why uh, unemployment is starting to dissipate and we're seeing huge jobs numbers is because in half the states where they turned off that $300 a week, it's forcing people in the service industry to go back to service work. So that's what we see happening right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we can keep up that with restaurants yeah. now trying to go back online. Do you think rules are different about tipping now that we're yeah, on I, the other side, of tan- uh, other side of the pandemic? I'm trying to tip more. I'm not Don O'Neill tipping. I'm not a lunatic. But uh, on the takeout, I still struggle. Because the same thing with you. It's like 18%, 20% when I just walked in here and picked up a bag. Yeah. It's like, I'll tip the cook, I guess. Like, can I do that? Yeah. Uh, so I try to maybe go 15 or so on a, on a takeout. But even that seems like a lot to seems me. Seems like a lot. On the yeah. f- 15. But like, there are other people that are asking for tips that just, what was the thing I saw? It was like a non-food thing. It was just a guy. Yeah. And you're, you're checking out with your credit cards. Like, you want to put a tip on yours? Like, no, I don't want to put a tip on there. It's just a rate. It was like, like a grocery store or something. Yeah. Just know when you go and you sit at a table and that table doesn't turn, it's costing that weight person a lot of money. And so that's when you should think about, hey, you know what? We stayed here an extra hour. Uh, or like in my case, I don't buy a lot of alcoholic beverages to drive that price up, but sometimes I'll still tip as if we all sat there and ordered alcoholic beverages. So I'll, I'll say, well, the, the bill would have been a hundred. The bill was actually 50. So I might tip on a hundred and do something like that. We'll see you on the other side of this. Hi everyone, my name is Therese and I am a new team member with Ron and Don. When you are ready to buy a new home, I am a buyer specialist. Just reach out and we will send a buyer's playbook that the guys wrote just for you. Go to ronanddonsitdown.com. 
All right, you guys, welcome back to episode 273 now of the Ron and Don Show. Don't forget our website is ronanddonsitdown.com. And our thanks to Les Schwab for always helping to sponsor today's show. In fact, we are live from the Les Schwab studios. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. My son is graduating from the fifth grade. And I I used to think, and uh, you know, I, I started thinking about it in the in, in in the way that we think about things, and the way that we grew up. And sometimes the, we don't understand the way we grew up was completely screwed up. Uh, but sometimes that's the only backdrop we have. So I'm like fifth grade. We never celebrated graduating from the fifth grade. And the reason we didn't celebrate graduating from the fifth grade is because there was sixth grade in the same school. And then in some schools, you have sixth, seventh, and eighth. Some have sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. So anyway, we, 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 we did not get a trophy for that. We never graduate. I, I'm telling you, though, for, for kids that have gone through a school year, I don't care if it's a second grade. They deserve some kind of party after going through what they've gone through in 2020. Do fifth graders get a cap and gown, like a mini cap and gown? No, they don't. But they, got a, they have a... At my son's school, every year they're supposed to go on a trip together, like a senior trip, but for fifth graders. Uh, and they didn't get to do that this year. They're also going to have some kind of car caravan, and I'm supposed to dress up my car. Nice. Yeah. What are you going to do? I don't know. I don't even know how Streamers? to Streamers? I, I, I don't know how to do this, but there's going to be- some white shoe polish we yeah. can draw on the windows? My son's uh, principal, she's retiring, so we're, we're saying goodbye to Virginia, which we're kind of sad uh, about this. And I think we're all ready at some point to kind of put- uh, 2020, 2021 and the rear I say mirror. lots of silly strings. So you roll down the windows and it's like silly string out of all the windows. Yeah. What's interesting about this though, is they say some of the things that we've learned now in our new article out said some things we learned through COVID may be here to stay. Uh, and one of those things, I have a couple of relatives. Uh, in fact, my cousin and my uncle passed away during COVID and there wasn't a memorial. And typically in my family, especially being the uh, being Catholic, you, the memorial goes on for days in the wake and everything else. It's it, it's something. But it's also a time where you can get your family together. And it's always a family reunion. If you ever have a Catholic funeral, it's always a family reunion. And in a lot of ways, it's usually a lot of fun, especially if that person lived a long, great life and you're just there kind of celebrating it. But this year, nothing for my Uncle George. There was nothing for my cousin Michael. Uh, people have talked about, I think my auntie Al is about to pass here. So we've talked about maybe doing some kind of memorial online. Uh, they say that's wedding season is going to be very, very busy. Maybe the busiest ever. Uh, but people are maybe opting for smaller weddings and doing things online. Uh, what is your take on this? Do you think, do you think COVID has changed the way that, that we celebrate and the way that we remember things and embrace things uh, in our culture. I, I hope so. And I think about, uh, like you said, the weddings and the memorials. The perception for the longest time, like you just talked about, is like if you're not here in person, you're less of a family member. If you don't show up and make the travel plans, you're less than. And I think what this has shown is that that's not true. So holding up an iPad, let's say, at someone's wedding where you're FaceTiming with a loved one that that maybe for COVID reasons is obvious. But now going forward, can we accept that that's okay? So if you, if your family's from Chicago and you're here uh, on the West Coast and maybe it was difficult for you to get time off of work, maybe your son is sick or is in scuba lessons or whatever it is, 
Can you attend, in air quotes, a wedding, uh, the ceremony uh, via an iPad or a phone on FaceTime, and show, give your regards to your family members, um, and, and that be Don attended the wedding? I, I think it can be. I, I think that we should be a little more compassionate about travel plans um, and how difficult that can be for many people. So, and I also think I heard Seth Godin talk about this in terms of work trips. He's like, for 20 years, I had to get on a plane, fly around the world, uh, and meet in person to close a deal. And he's like, if I can do that from my living room now, uh, where it's no longer looked down upon that we can, that we can meet face to face over zoom. I can close a deal for a lot of money and ha- he's like, I hope that stays here forever because I could be in, in Tokyo in the morning, in San Francisco in the evening, in Chicago in midday and do three different talks. Yeah. But you don't get to hit a taco truck or you don't get to get a great hot dog. I mean, you know I'm pro-travel. I'm just trying to be open-minded to people that uh, maybe you have, maybe it's the fifth wedding that year that you wanted that someone wanted you to go to. It's like, I don't have the time or resources to fly to five different places. Yeah, they say it's going to take two years for worldwide travel to get back to where it was uh, pre-pandemic. I don't think that's true in the United States. (laughs) Everybody I know is going somewhere. Just going somewhere. Yeah. Going crazy. Van life, baby! Going crazy. Dude, we should have bought stock in a van company at the beginning of this thing. How about that? Yeah. Hey, you guys. Thanks for stopping by and listening to episode 273. We really appreciate that. Also, thank you. There's a couple things you can do for us because we do this show for free for you. Can you hit subscribe? Hit that subscribe button. Also, if you're looking for tires, stop by Les Schwab Tire Center because that helps us because they help sponsor the show. And also, if you're thinking about a real estate journey or you know somebody that is, your referrals mean everything to us when we get a referral. In fact, you know what's kind of interesting? I talked about tipping those $5 in that Starbucks. One of those baristas actually ended up, and it's not the reason I did it, giving me one of our best referrals that we've ever had. One of our best referrals. And it's just because I went in there and I built a relationship with this particular barista over the past couple of years. And we talked a lot about real estate. I coached him on buying a home with a different agent. And then I've been coaching him about uh, doing some things to the home to get it kind of souped up and hot rotted. And uh, he said, by the way, uh, I have a friend that's selling some property in Capitol Hill and he could uh, use a great agent like you. So I really, we really appreciate those referrals. So if you know any friends or family members, please send them to ronanddonsitdown.com or they can write Ron directly, ron at windermere.com. We so appreciate that because this business is a referral business. Keep your head up, keep your shoulders back and we'll see you next time for episode 274 on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network.